It's Monday, April 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Marathon Monday, gentlemen. Marathon Monday. I like that. Isn't it great that we're here and not actually running the Boston Marathon? I thought about running to work today, and then I... <laughs> Immediately reverse course. So I thought, uh, I thought about ever... taking the stairs up from the basement, <laughs> right. and I was like, no, I'll take the elevator. Have you ever run a marathon? No. Have you? No, I have not. Nor have I. I mean, no. I think I've got about 5Ks in me, and that's that's about where I, I hit the wall of, of like, I just got to go do something else. Yeah. So. Hats off. They're Hats popular that's... around the fool, though. There's a lot of fools yeah. that are uh, yeah. marathoners. Yeah. Do we have any fools at the Boston Marathon? I don't know if we have it. The last two years, uh, Seth Jason from Hidden Gems and Matt Kopenheffer, who's over in Germany, mm-hmm. they ran... Uh, both last year and the year prior, um, I don't, and I know we've had other people who have yep. run. I don't think we have anyone up there right now. But uh, but let's talk earnings because earnings palooza really kicks into high gear this week. This is our marathon. This is right. yeah yeah. <laughs> it's earnings definitely not a sprint. Is our marathon. So we'll talk Hasbro. We'll uh, we'll get back to uh, we'll get back to the marathon. We'll circle back to that at the end. But um, but let's start with Halliburton. First quarter results came in better than expected, and Taylor, it's really outside the U.S., Latin America, the Middle East, Asia, that we're really driving things this quarter. Yeah, you look at this company, um, North America means a heck of a lot to Halliburton, Um, but thankfully, outside of North America, results were pretty positive, because if if not, you know you're looking at 54% drop in earnings in North America, and and they derive over 50% of their business from that market. So they've they've been hurt a lot. And you talk about beating earnings, beating revenue, but it's still down considerably over last year. And Halliburton doesn't really see a pickup in things on the oil markets anytime soon. In particular, um, Schlumberger echoed the same things on Friday when they res- when they reported their results, saying. Um, their CEO is saying that it's not people are expecting a V curve of a recovery, but he's expecting more of a bathtub over the next four to five years, where it's just going to be some bottom feeding for the next three to four, and then you'll see, hopefully eventually see a pickup in drilling activity. Um, activity overall in the energy sector could pick up, but there's just a backlog of rigs or of well sites in the U.S. that haven't been fracked, but they've been drilled. So he's expecting those to be fracked and refracked over the next three to four years, and then maybe new drilling to, to take place. Because you're just looking at thousands of wells just waiting for that last stage of completion right now. Didn't Slumberger also announce another round of layoffs? Yeah, they've got over 11,000 people laid off, and, and Halliburton has laid off 10% of its workforce in the last six months. So um, they're not the only companies that are doing that, but it just shows how immediate the impact of this North American. Uh, Rig collapse really has been, and uh, the global oil prices in general. You got to think about how this plays out in the unemployment line too. I mean, it's low oil prices. It's it's you know it's it's a gift and sort of a burden, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy for motorists now. I mean, we can fill up our cars with cheaper gasoline. Uh, but but you know the flip side of that is that there are we have, we have a lot of jobs in that energy space, and when these companies have to let these folks go. That obviously, uh, you know, means fewer people out there working, making money, contributing to the economy. And and if if you know if they're right in thinking that this is more sort of a bathtub recovery as as opposed to like a V recovery, uh, that you know that could be a, a bit of a prolonged period of people you know out of work. And the tangential industries that supply the industry, the oil industry with with the metal and the the chemicals that are that are using some of these um, production levels, they're going to see some employment. 
pitfalls there too. I think if this lasts longer than a couple more months or even a year from now, um, and you look at oil jobs, just pay a heck of a lot more than the average job in the U.S. and Canada. So hopefully that doesn't persist because up in Canada at least, oil, average oil job is pay 67% more than the average job in Canada. And um, you're looking at real estate values in some of these areas in Alberta in particular, skyrocketing over the last few years because so many people are moving to the oil sands and um, you're, you're slowly starting to see um, housing starts and, and new sales of houses in Alberta slow. And I hope that that doesn't expand outside of that region or even, even accelerate because um, the housing market up there in particular has really gotten ahead of itself. Did Halliburton management drop any clues uh, regarding potential acquisitions through the rest of 2015, or, or were they more focused on this is how the quarter went, and this is we're not projecting anything out beyond the next few months? Yeah, I think um, I didn't see anything in particular, and I think right now they're just concentrating on that one big acquisition of Baker Hughes, and because that still hasn't closed. No, it hasn't. There's there's in talks with a few banks to start um, putting some of their assets on the on the auction block. Um, I think upwards of three to four billion dollars worth of assets that they're going to try and sell in order to kind of help assuage any um, regulatory concerns um, as far as monopolistic um, subsectors that Baker Hughes and Halliburton kind of overlap on. And um, I think that's their main concern on the M&A front, is just making sure that deal goes through. Let's move over to Hasbro. First quarter profits came in much higher than expected. Jason, a year ago, they reported, and it was the girls' division that was really driving their results. One year later, it's really the boys' division that's getting it done. Sure, yeah, and given the the golf talk we've had in here over the past few weeks uh, with the Masters, I mean, I think you know when we talk about Hasbro, we we you know compare it to Mattel often, uh, and if you look at those two companies, these two companies year to date, uh, to use a golf analogy, I would say that Hasbro is the Jordan Spieth to Mattel's Tiger Woods. Yeah, I mean, one of them is really doing well, and the other one is just really struggling right now. And and uh, Hasbro is the one that's that's really just uh, been been doing very well. It's for a number of reasons. I mean, they they have a very uh, I think a very compelling catalog of franchise names that that people are very familiar with. And so uh, you look at the top line growth for this company is fourteen percent if you exclude currency effects, which is, that's that's impressive, really to say the least, for, especially for the first quarter of the year, which is traditionally the slowest and. and uh, Least profitable, but they have an entertain an entertainment and licensing segment that grew seventy four percent this quarter, and that was based on the popularity in uh, like My Little Pony brands and the Transformer brands, as you as you mentioned. Uh, so so those are are sort of interesting money makers for this company, but you know they also have. Things like Nerf, which continue to do well. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm convinced that we probably had a material impact on that one alone, just with all the Nerf wars we have around Full HQ. Yeah, we we um, had a whole floor dedicated to it a couple of weeks ago because we're we're transitioning down to a new. Yeah, floor we're here. we're spending Nerf darts. We're spending a lot of money on Nerf. <laughs> Uh, Not so much My Little Pony, but we are helping with the Nerf sales. <laughs> I, I think the interesting thing is that uh, you know the, the slate of movies that that are coming out this year that they'll benefit from. You have a new Avengers movie, a new Star Wars movie, and a new Jurassic Park movie. Uh, so they're going to benefit from and that they've got as licensing well. They've deals got, with all of them. Correct, exactly. And you know you top that off with taking that Disney deal away from Mattel, uh, and that is going to have a material impact on both companies bottom lines, and it's not going to be good for Mattel, I can tell you that. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, a lot of reasons why this stock is doing well today, and I think a lot of reasons uh, why analysts and investors alike are looking at 2015 is, is really a, uh, you know, a positive year for Hasbro. I would think that particularly how the stock has done over the last year, not just beating the market, but crushing Mattel's stock to the tune of outperformance of 60%, mm-hmm. somewhere in the neighborhoods of that. Everything they've got lined up later this year in terms of the movies, I would think that one of the big challenges for Hasbro management over the next six to 12 months is going to be managing expectations. Because this was a big, you know, I believe the Wall Street consensus was 13 cents a share. They came in at 21 cents a share. This was a huge, this wasn't beating by a penny. This was a blowout quarter for them. Huh, you're and right, I, and I have to believe that expectations only go up from here. And management's done a pretty good job. I was reading through the call earlier, and, and they've done a pretty good job of sort of keeping expectations in check. But you know, success begets success, and as as these companies do well, the expectations go up, and so that will be something they'll have to pay attention to um, as, as the quarters go by. Um, you know, I think they have the leadership team in place to do it, and I think that's you know that's where Mattel is really struggling right now. Is is they have this new leadership team in place, and they're really trying to change the culture of the company. Hasbro hasn't had that worry, right? I think it's uh, Goldman who's been at the, the at the helm there with with Hasbro since two thousand and eight. Uh, so they, they've obviously made a lot of good decisions and are doing a lot of good things. And shareholders are being rewarded from this. I mean, they're bringing that share account down. It's down nine percent since two thousand and ten. They continue to maintain a very healthy payout ratio on that dividend, and I think that's important because if you look at Hasbro, that payout ratio hovers in the fifty percent range. Mattel, the last two years, that payout ratio has has been over a hundred percent, which means they're paying out more than they're making, and and ultimately that's not sustainable. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that because of of all of the the headwinds that Mattel is facing, I think that that makes the expectations even greater for Hasbro. So it's a good point you make there. It'll be one to keep an eye on. It's not just Marathon Monday. It's Patriots Day in the state of Massachusetts. So I thought to wrap up, we could we could do a couple of things. First, Hasbro based in Rhode Island, Halliburton based in Texas. A lot of Massachusetts based public companies. Do you have a favorite, Taylor? It's not the football team Patriots Day, right? No, so I don't want to celebrate that. <laughs> no, okay, no, it is not. Okay. Pawtucket um, Patriot Day, old day. <laughs> Um, I looked at the list you guys sent around. It's a lot of companies I didn't know were based up in that area, but I have to go with IPG Photonics, uh, the first U.S. recommendation in Stock Advisor Canada, and it's up 45% on the market since October 1st of 2013 when we recommended it. Growing still by leaps and bounds, uh, fiber laser company, predominantly in the the metals, the metals um, design unit, automobiles, solar panels, things like that, and they're trying to expand, growing rapidly. 50% growth in earnings last quarter, 25% growth in revenue, and they, they're vertically integrated, so they have the ability to scale, unlike some of their competitors, if not all of their competitors. So they're at the lower end of the cost curve, and some very nice insider ownership, the CEO and founder, about 18 to 19% uh, via a trust that he has. So um, a lot of skin in the game there for him. What's the ticker symbol? IPGP. You're right. A lot of public companies based in Massachusetts, and looking through that list, what jumped out at me was just how many are in the biotech and oh, health care space. Yeah. Biotech so central. if you're if you're one of those investors yep. who's interested <laughs> in that universe, uh, get to the Bay State. Uh, what about you, Jamal? There are a number of, of of them on that list. Like Taylor said, I, I think um, the one I'm, the one I'll go with is is uh, Boston Beer, uh, one that I've followed really since uh, you know before I even started working here. 
just a lot of things to really like about the company. I mean, a, a founder leader there, uh, Jim Cook, who's still chairman of the board, owns about 30% of the company. And, and he's, you know, I, I think that people are sort of looking at Boston beer and thinking, oh, well, craft beer is taking off. And, Boston beer's gotten so big, it's not really craft beer anymore. And, you know, I, I, I sort of nitpick with that because, I mean, I think the one thing you have to focus on with Boston beer is it's more about better beer. They're focusing on making better beer, not just craft beer. And so, really, you know, Boston beer is not only sort of helping bring that rising tide of craft beer along, but it's also taking a, a lot of share annually from the just the, the mass beers, the Budweiser's and the, and the Miller's and the Coors of the world. And, um, and so I think that you know they'll continue to focus on that market, continue to focus on bringing better beer, uh, along with with uh, playing a role in that craft beer market. Uh, just see a lot of a lot of room for this company still to grow. I have to go with Duncan Brands. I knew you were going to go. <laughs> I saw that on those. I knew it for obvious reasons. Um, As he drinks from his sugar shack <laughs> I mug. Know, it's I support the local <laughs> donut right. maker Sugar Shack here in Alexandria. Which for anyone visiting the area. You really got to get to Sugar Shack, Boy, but uh, man, but, oh man. but in my heart of hearts, I'll always be a Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> fan. Um, so a marathon, twenty six point two miles. Let's wrap up with one stock you would feel comfortable holding for the next twenty six point two years. This is you know it's the Warren Buffett. You buy the stock, you you go to sleep for a while, mm-hmm. and and then you wake up, you still hold it. What's one you would feel comfortable? not being able to sell a single share of for the next 26.2 years. Taylor? It's one I've owned for a little over three years, so we're going to make this a 30-year stock. And it's Starbucks, um, addictive product, addictive activity. It's become a hobby for a lot of people, going there every day just to get a coffee or just to go there, even if they don't feel like they need a coffee. Um, I, I like their ability to move into new new uh, product lineups with food and tea, international growth, still a huge business for this company. And um, I think that's what's going to take place over the next 20 to 25 years. Um, granted, Schultz probably won't be there in 26.2 years, but I'm assuming they're going to have a pretty decent succession plan in line, um, unless Google actually cures death like they're trying to. Um, <laughs> then, then we'll have to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but I think that they could change their their stores up a little bit, maybe make them, co-working is becoming a bigger deal around the world, maybe they put some cubes or offices inside of some new stores, and they're opening some some more luxury tasting rooms in some of their bigger markets, Um, so we'll see how that plays out. Jason? Yeah, I combed through my portfolio to try to find a holding I already own. And I like Taylor brought up leadership because that was one of the things I was really thinking about here was I'd like to be able to have something where I know the leadership is, is in place for some time to come. Um, and that brought me down to Chipotle and or Under Armour. I'm going to go with Under Armour here. And, and number one, you know, you look at Kevin Plank, the founder of the business. He controls the company. He's, he's this long-term goal of really uh, dethroning Nike at some point. He's only 41. So, you know, 26 years from now, he, in theory, should still be around. He's only 41? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> from what I could see, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just making sure. I want to make sure I get that data correct. But when I'm looking at Cap IQ today, it said he was 41. Which now I'm just coming to realize I'm older than he is. That can't be right, is it? <laughs> anyway, he he should be be in place still, uh, you know, come that that time. And so I think that, you know, Under Armour. You, I, w- I don't want to go with a tech company because those are so easily disrupted. I think that uh, you know, apparel, sporting goods, apparel, and everything like that. That's that's not so easily disrupted. And then just to to sort of check myself on on the logic there, I looked at Nike and what Nike's done over the past 26 years, and it's not too shabby, Chris. I mean, if you if you bought Nike 26 years ago and hung on. Uh, to those shares, you would have, you would be ten thousand two hundred seventy three percent better 
for it. And I could see, yeah, I mean, it's basically taking 500 bucks and turning it into, you know, more than 50,000 for doing nothing, you know, and, and I think that Under Armour has that same type of potential. And so I definitely intend on hanging on to those shares uh, indefinitely. How about you? Do you have one? You'd have to. Think if you had asked me ten years ago, Sugar Shack. I, if you'd asked me ten years ago, I probably would have gone with Coca Cola just because of yeah. how it has sustained as a business for so long. Um, but I, I would, I would be in uh, like both you guys. I'm looking at my own portfolio. What do I currently own? And I'm with Taylor. I would go with Starbucks out of my portfolio because I, I do think, for all the reasons that Taylor said, uh, they. They're very well set up to succeed over the next 25 years. Mm-hmm. I do think that lining up a successor to Howard Schultz, who is in no danger of leaving that company anytime soon, but I think that is going to be crucial, as as we've talked about before with companies like like Disney, etc. Uh, by the way, you mentioned Chipotle and Under Armour both reporting earnings later this week, so we will definitely hit those later in the week. Ton, yep. of, ton of companies reporting this week. Thanks for being here. Thank you. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.